0: Hey, I wonder what the first thing you remember saving up for when you were younger is? For me, I was about 11 or 12 years old, and me and my best friend at the time, we saw these sets of laser tag guns uh, in the store that we so desperately wanted. You know, you could go down to the arcade and play, but then you had to wait for someone's birthday, and then uh, these meant you could play anytime, anywhere. But they were about $100, and we actually didn't have any money. So we, uh, we were like, right, okay, we're going to take this summer, and we're going to see if we can scrounge up as much as we can. We were, like, down the side of the couch looking for the coins. We were begging, Mom, Dad, please, can we wash the car? We'll clean the house. We'll do anything to try and earn some money. Well, that faithful day came, and we, we got enough. We bought them, and we were so, so excited. But the thing about these laser tag guns that was different to the ones we used to play with were that they actually had these metal plates on them. And when you got hit, uh, lights didn't just go off. You actually got a little electric shock in your hands. And so we learned quite quickly that this game wasn't actually that fun to play. It was quite painful. And we maybe played a handful of times and we, we learned that If you held onto the plastic bits of the gun and then you just waited for a clean shot and then you quickly tried to go in so you didn't get hit um, was the only way it was tolerable. But in the end, they just sat in the cupboard and they gathered dust. And so I guess you could say it was a shocking waste of money. (laughs) Nice. So it's quite a heavy topic today. We're talking about money and so I thought we'd start light. Um, But that was the day I learned that there are good ways to spend money, and there are less good ways to spend money. <laughs> and we're going to talk more about that today. But if you just joined us, we are in part two of our money series, we're calling Cash. Uh, if you missed last week, definitely go back. Jerem did a brilliant job talking about our heart. And today we're going to move to our heads and how we think about money. And I know this is a sensitive topic. It's not actually one we've talked about much as a church over the years. But when you look at Jesus and what he taught on, you actually see he spoke about this a lot. We see that Jesus spoke more about money than he did about heaven. And I think it's because he knew what a stumbling block money could be in our lives. The fortunate thing is, God made it super clear about how we can think about money that will... um, help things go well for us. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to open God's Word. If you've got your Bible, we're in 1 Chronicles 29. That's in the Old Testament. And our passage today sends us on King David at the end of his reign. He's preparing to pass things on to Solomon. But before he does that, he has a little mission. Um, now, David is a man who knew what it meant to have a little and to have a lot, And he's sitting around in his palace one day, and it's super lavish, real lush, and he thinks to himself, man, God's dwelling place at the time is a tabernacle, which is kind of like this tent. And here he's sitting around in luxury, and he thinks this is not how it should be. And so he resolves to build God a temple. But the thing is, this temple is like full of gold and precious stones, And it's going to cost a lot of wealth uh, and riches to build. So David contributes a lot. He's collecting money for the temple. And the Israelite community contribute a lot as well. And that's where we pick up today. In verse 10, where we see David offer, offer up this epic prayer to God. So follow along. Verse 10 says, Then David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly. O Lord, the God of our ancestor Israel, may you be praised forever and ever. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the victory, and the majesty. Everything in the heavens and on earth is yours, O Lord, and this is your kingdom. We adore you as the one who is over all things. Wealth and honor come from you alone, for you rule over everything. Power and might are in your hand, and at your discretion people are made great and given strength. O our God, we thank you and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we could give anything to you? Everything we have has come from you and we give you only what you first gave us. We are here for only a moment, visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. Our days on earth are like a passing shadow, gone so soon without a trace. O Lord, our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honour your holy name comes from you. It all belongs to you. Let's pray. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak to us through your word. So I pray that we would have open ears and soft hearts to hear what you have to say to us today. Lord, speak clearly, we're listening. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're talking about money. Where does money come from? If your parents are anything like mine, you'll be familiar with the phrase, money doesn't grow on trees. If that's the case, well where does it come from? If you're younger, maybe you get pocket money from your parents. Maybe on your birthday you get a card from your grandma or grandpa and you're hoping a little note falls out. Maybe Maybe you have investments. Maybe you get scholarships. If you're like me though, most of your money comes from a job. I work 40 hours a week and then once a fortnight some money lands into my bank account. So I would say money comes from my employers. Well, how would David answer this question? See, David would bring spoils of war back. He's busy running the kingdom. Maybe he's setting up trade with other nations. He's uh, working super hard. But David makes it very clear where he thinks money comes from. He says, everything in heaven and on earth belongs to God. Wealth and honour come from God alone. He wasn't taking any credit for himself himself. He was one of the wealthiest people around and yet David recognises that everything he has, it comes from God and it belongs to God. His time, his money, his talents, his possessions, none of it belongs to him. And as Jesus followers, I think it can be easy for us to fall into the trap that thinking that the money we have is ours and that it's purely meant for our own consumption. The Bible clearly teaches that God is the ultimate owner of all wealth. Everything we have is merely a gift from Him. You see, God made us. He gives us the very breath in our lungs. He holds all things together, and even our ability to make wealth is a gift from God. We see this in Deuteronomy. We see this warning. It says, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. You know, I can't speak for you, but I know for me in my own life, um, yeah, it can be easy to forget God when we experience financial blessing. We might pray before a meal, but when was the last time you thanked God when you were paid? There's a famous story in the Old Testament where the Israelites have been rescued out of slavery, they walked through the Red Sea on dry land and God has dealt with their pursuers. They're safe and they're free. But after such a sh- just a short while, they forget God and they worship a golden calf. And we can read that story and go, man, those people are foolish. How quick they were to forget. But I think we are very similar to them. We take things for granted. You see, David was born with nothing. And when he dies, he will take nothing with him. No money, no possessions, no wealth. And that's because he doesn't actually own any of it. He's just managing it. And when David moves moves on from this world, well, everything he had was given to someone else to look after and to manage. So how do you view the money and the possessions at your disposal? Wise stewardship means we recognise that money and possessions are not our own. It means we look after what's been entrusted to us. And that means that ultimately it's not up to us how we use the money and possessions we have. It's up to God. You know, one example of this in my life is at the end of every month I get emailed a spreadsheet and it's got a list of all the expenses I've made on my work card for that month. And I have to put in receipts and I have to say everything that I spent, why I spent it, which budget it came from, and then that gets checked by someone else to be signed off. And because it's not my money, it means I view it differently to the money in my own bank account. I know I'm gonna be held accountable, and so I'm not frivolous or wasteful. I strive to be considered and wise in how that money (coughs) is used. Because at work, I recognise I'm just a manager of those resources. I'm not an owner. But our passage shows that we ought to have the same approach to our personal finances and possessions. So today we're talking all about stewardship, which I've just defined as looking after the things that don't belong to us. And as as I've studied this passage, I've found three key things to help us to be wise stewards. And the first one is why stewards recognise that we're managers, not owners. So we get lied to, a lot, uh, probably every day, (laughs) we're relentlessly bombarded with advertisements. And it's no longer just like driving down the road you see a billboard or at home watching TV, now we have devices that we carry around with us everywhere that are designed to serve us ads as well. And they all sell the same thing. They sell discontentment. They make false promises. There's so many messages trying to get us to believe, the lie that if we just had that next car, gadget, device, thing, we'd be happy. If only we earned a little bit more to sustain the lifestyle we think we need, then we'd be content. It's not true. I fall and prey to this myself, the allure of ads and possessions. Anyone remember the Ab Circle Pro? Ads for that. It's pretty retro now. It was dubbed the most innovative piece of exercise equipment on the planet. Just three minutes a day and you have the abs, you get the thighs you want. Well, I remember being so excited when that landed in our living room. And maybe it just didn't work for me, but it didn't live up to the promises that it made. You know, the world encourages us to want more and more. But the thing is, we are never satisfied. Proverbs says this, Just as death and destruction are never satisfied, so human desire is never satisfied. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. You know, it's the sinful nature in us that causes us to want more and more. We get the thing, and then we want the next thing. If we just earned a bit more, That would be enough, but then we earn more, and our lifestyle changes, and then we want more still. You know, it's that part of us that's in opposition to God, that doesn't believe that God is enough to satisfy us. And if this life is all that there is, then that makes sense, but we believe that there's a hope beyond this life. David says in verse 15, We are here only for a moment. Visitors and strangers in the land as our ancestors were before us. You see, we live in this world, but we're not actually made for this place. You know, I love this quote by C.S. Lewis, which makes a very similar point. And it says, If I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. You see, our culture values money and material possessions as of utmost importance. But we have to train our hearts that we're not from around here. We're made for another place, with different values and different priorities. Our lives and spending ought to look different from the people that don't have the ultimate treasure that we have, Jesus. Society says your value comes from the stuff you've accumulated, the house you live in, the car you drive. But Jesus says no, your value comes from your identity in me. It's an identity that can't be taken away from you. It's one that you can't earn. It's all because of what Jesus has done for you when you accept him as Lord and Saviour of your life. (laughs) You know, when you have your own things, in some way you can do whatever you want with them. But if everything you have belongs to God, then that changes how we use the money we have. We ought to use it on the things God values and avoid spending it on the things that aren't high on his priority list. So how do we combat a love of money and possessions? Let's see what Paul says. Not that I was ever in need, for I have learned how to be content with whatever I have. I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. I have learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it is with a full stomach or empty, with plenty or little. You want to know the secret? The secret is contentment. You see, God knows what we need, and he promises to give us what we need. We need to learn to be content with what God gives us for our needs. It's not natural. It's supernatural. But when we practice gratitude and contentment, what we have is enough. Realizing what we have in Jesus helps us to say no to the things of this world. And you know, I bet the enemy loves it when we spend our money on frivolous things because it means there's little or nothing left for God's purposes. We face challenges to contentment every day, so we must actively fight against that thinking. And our second point is, wise stewards fight for contentment. So let's move on to our third point. If we're money managers, then we actually have to manage our money. We have to be intentional about how we use it, or will we be pulled away and swayed by the latest um, craze, or by comparing ourselves to others. So David saw a need, and he acted upon it. <laughs> he says, "O oh Lord, our God, even this material we have gathered to build a temple to honour Your holy name comes from You." David was moved to use his wealth to build a temple for God. It's to honour God. It's a temple for people to worship God. It's using his wealth for things of an eternal impact. So the question comes, if our money is not ours and we're not wasting it, what should we use it for? Well, what does God want us to do with his money? You know, I've heard the Christian life described as the gradual process of discovering what Jesus would do if he were me in all aspects of our life. So, are you making time to spend with God in prayer and in the Word? Are you meeting with other Christians to study and reflect on how to live out our faith in our day to day lives? One of our key church strategies is about cultivating a simple devotion to Jesus. It's where we learn um, to think. And speak and act and become more like Jesus. And so, if we want to know how Jesus would spend his money if he were us, then we have to get to know him. You know, I'm not going to go into detail today about how to spend, how we ought to spend our money. You're going to have to come back next week where Simon is going to share on that. But I will tell you something from my own experience. A few years ago, our life group did a a money series. And one of the challenges we were given was to keep track of everything you spend for just one month. Don't change anything, just keep a note and then reflect. And you know, I thought I was fairly good with money. I don't have a great desire for a whole lot of things. I, I feel like I lead a fairly minimalist life. Um, but gosh, it was sobering. You see, unlike other areas of our lives, with money is actually it's really easy to see how well or poorly we're using it. You see, if in your career, it can be hard to tell with your health or your, um, your relationships, it's hard to know objectively, um, hard to quantify, but not so with our money. We have the records. And at the end of this month, I felt this profound sadness, actually, um, and embarrassment as I looked and I just thought, what a waste. What a waste. How much money can one person consume on on themselves? You know, I realised my actions didn't line up with my values and if you want to see where your priorities lie, your bank account is a great place to start. You know, I think I realised I was being conformed to the pattern of this world and I was having my desires shaped um, rather than being intentional and strategic with the money I have. So it jolted me to review my budget and relook at my spending. And, yeah, a really helpful exercise. So you might want to give this a go, uh, this challenge. It's eye-opening. But, you know, the thing for me that sticks out for this, um, from what David did, is he uh, made a plan. And when we make a plan with our money and our resources, well, another name for that is a budget. So John Maxwell says... A budget is telling your money where to go instead of wondering where it went. You know, I I know a budget can seem restrictive, can seem really daunting, but it's just a plan. It's a plan of expected income and expenditure. And it's a a tool that helps us prioritise. Money doesn't grow on trees. It's limited and it's finite. And so we have to be careful with how we use it and where we send it. Your budget actually brings freedom. It helps us to make sure that the important things are covered for what's important to you. If you have a budget, then great. Keep using it, revisit it often. There's no point in making it once and then never reviewing it. You know, one thing you might want to consider is finding a trusted friend and swapping budgets. Getting a bit of accountability. I hmm. If the idea of showing someone else your budget kind of makes your heart sink a little bit, your stomach drop, then maybe there's some work you and God need to do with how you're spending your money. But if you don't have a budget, then don't worry. Um, We're actually running a course here soon at the street called Cat Money. It's three weeks and it's designed for anyone, whether you're good with money or not so good with money. It's a great way to um, learn how to budget, build one, and to learn some great principles around money. I did it a number of years ago and I still use it today um, and it's super, super helpful. So we learn that wise stewards make a plan. So just as we come into close, you know, we've seen that wise stewards are managers, not owners. All that we have, all the wealth and resources we possess, they're ultimately God's. When we remember this, it should humble us It should make us consider our financial decisions, large and small, not from a place of ownership, but a place of stewardship. Secondly, why stewards fight for contentment? In a world that's constantly pressuring us to want more, to consume more, to achieve more, the wisdom of contentment provides a different path. It's a path that tells us that our worth is not found in an abundance of possessions, but in our relationship with God. That we don't need to endlessly chase after wealth and stuff, because we can find satisfaction in our God, who is our provider. You know, lastly, why stewards make a plan? This isn't just about um, financial management or budgeting. While those are important, this is actually about aligning our finances with our faith. It's ensuring that we use our resources to that in a way that reflects our belief that we're just stewards, and we're not owners, and that we're content in God and not in material wealth. And you know, the wisdom is not in just understanding these truths, but it's actually living them out. So I really encourage you: just pick one thing from today, tell someone what stood out to you, and ask them to keep you accountable. As we go from this place with a renewed commitment to be wise stewards, let's view the resources through the lens of um, God's ownership and find our contentment in him. You know, this is the path of wise stewardship. It's not easy, but it is rewarding, and we don't do it on our own. We do it with God who is with us every step of the day, every step of the way, and we do it in community as well. I'd love just to pray to close. God, we thank you for how much you blessed us with. Lord, and I thank you in your loving kindness that you showed us the way to think about money. God, I pray by your spirit that you would be convicting us over this next week. If there's areas of our lives that you'd have us change, would you increase and would we decrease, God? Would we find a new contentment in you? We love you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.